Amen, amen. You may be seated. Oh, so this story that we are telling is about the one we just sang about, and I love how they how that hymn just tells the end of the story as well. And and we will we will get there if not today, then certainly by next Sunday when we celebrate his resurrection. But guys, the story is an ancient story. It's a story that has been told from father to son and from from parent to child for generations. Literally for 3,500 years, God's people have been telling this story. J- young people in the room, part of why we want you in the room is you have an you have a, a place to you are part of this church you are part of the church this is so that you can hear the story and bathe in the story so that you can tell the story to your children someday if the lord tarries that's why we do church the way we do it it's called multi-generational faithfulness and this is how they would do it in the time of the passover so jesus told this story often in fact at least three times in his life he walks through the Passover story with his disciples. The, what we're celebrating today is the last time he does it. The, the, what we think of as the Last Supper. What he's doing at the Last Supper is he's telling the Passover story. But we don't want to miss that, that in Christ, as Christians, we are part of that story now. Like we get to not just to, par- to participate in it, but also um, to help others participate in that story as well. And so the question that we're talking about today that's kind of driving our conversation through this Seder is, do you know the truth of the story? Do you know the one who is the truth of the story? That he isn't just, he doesn't just tell the truth, he is the truth, Right, and so that's what we're going to see today, and and what and and the part of the story that um, that Jesus tells in that Last Supper is it starts with his entry in the, what we think of as this is Palm Sunday. We think of the triumphal entry, the Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what happens as Jesus um, as Jesus enters Jerusalem. So uh, it says in Mark chapter four, it says on the first day of the unleavened bread. When the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go to prepare a place to eat the Passover? Because they had done this with him before, but not like he's going to do it with them tonight. And you'll hear that as the story unfolds. So this is the same day. Oh, in God's sovereign hand and his providence, this day is the day that, that the shepherds that lived in Bethlehem where they would raise the Passover, the lambs, for the sacrifice, which Bethlehem is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They would bring these Passover lambs up Mount Moriah to the Temple Mount, and they would bring them into the eastern gate so that they could be slaughtered when Passover arrived. Now just think about that in light of the story. Who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus, right? Who enters the temple? Jesus. Who ends up getting sacrificed? Jesus. You can still, so you can see even in how the people were living their lives telling the story of Christ and didn't even know it. So, um, but first, what, he te- what they say to Jesus is, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover? Because it took some time. It took some preparation. So, because all the preparation has been done for us and our little Seder today, except for one thing. Because part of the preparation is that for us to hear the truth, for us to know the truth, we have to clear out some of the junk. 
And this is true in our spiritual walk. We need to get rid of some of the sin. We need to confess our sins to one another. We need to be about the business of like letting go, what we talked about a few weeks ago, so that we can grab hold of the truth. So what we're going to do here in the next couple of minutes is, in the Bible, in the Old Testament of the Bible, the word leaven, which is yeast, which is the stuff that makes bread rise, was synonymous with sin. And so what they would do is to start sort of as part of their process for preparing for the Passover is because God told them, have no leaven, have no sin, have no symbol of sin among you. So they would go around the house and they would clear their house out of any bread that had leaven in it, any bread that actually looked like we would think of as bread, as like real bread that you would actually want to eat, right? And so under your table, we're not just a messy church, but under your table, we have um, some people have placed some sin. They placed some leaven on your table, and we're going to talk more about what else is on your table here in a few minutes. But on your table, there is a wooden spoon. There is a feather, which is the picture of the Holy Spirit. And then there should be a paper bag. So what's going to happen is the music team is going to play a song. While they're playing a song, young and old alike, if, you're old, if you have some youngs, make them do it because it's just easier for them to get on their knees um, than us old people. But if you have no youngs at your table, then you're just going to either have to go rent one or you're going to have to get on your knees as an old person and you're going to sweep up the sin into the spoon and you're going to place it in the bag. We're going to clean house. Go. in your table come up here like like um, crumple them down a little bit and we're gonna throw them in here because we can't just clean your table we need to clean the house good we are cleaning this the, the leaven we're, we're, we're cleaning up our junk some of us have more junk than others. more 
sin in the house because we're still here. But so, but, but but all kidding aside, while, while we're while we're doing this as a symbol, um, do take a little bit of time because because you will not receive, we will not receive what the Lord has for us today if you're sitting here hard-hearted, if you're sitting here with things that you can't let go of, if you're sitting here with things in your life that you're like, yeah, like right, like you've already felt the Holy Spirit convicting you, not Doug, not Cross Train Church, but the Spirit convicting you, but you're like, yeah, but I'm not ready to let go of that one. Do some business with God today as we're, as we're celebrating the Savior. He, he doesn't work, he, he's paid the price. Right? He's not asking you to do anything but acknowledge your need to clean house. So with that, since all this sin is in this bag, um, Camilla, come here for a second, sweet girl. Come up here, please. So we got to get rid of the sin in the camp. So this would be like the example um, of the scapegoat. So you're going to take that bag, and you're going to go open that door, and you're going to throw it outside. And Mr. Mr. Jeff sits out there cooking. He's cooking our food. He's like, what in the world? She's so nice. See, boys, boys would kick it. And girls are like, you know, that's the difference, right? Where'd she go? She, I didn't tell her to come back. Oh, no. That's bad. All right, well, let's sing a song in celebration that the sin has been taken out of the camp.
Amen, amen. Lord, I thank you for the truth that, um, that because of what you have done, you see us as holy, sanctified, set apart. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So why does God, so, so one of the things that people will ask often is like, what's with the rest, if, if Jesus is only in the front half of the book, what's with the whole, or the back half of the book, what's with the whole front half? Like what, what, why all the stuff in the Old Testament? Why would God have his people tell these kinds of stories over and over? Well, one, I've already pressed this point. It's because all of the front half of the book is pointing towards and a picture of the one who fulfills it all, Christ, right? But it's also the reason they would do this every year was because we're a leaky people. We need to be reminded of, of God's redemption, that we need to be reminded that we, you, me, all of us need, not don't just, didn't just need grace, but we need grace today, like we need, and, and it's new every day because we are a leaky people. And so, it, he, as Jesus is, is starting to tell the story a little differently on this last supper night, this last Passover night, what he does at the end of the supper, so if we get to the end of our meal today, is he leaves to just sort of help you understand where this fits into the life of Jesus and, and, the, cruci and the crucifixion is he comes in on the Sunday before what, we, what, what is Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and then on this, when he's celebrating the Passover meal, they get done with the meal, he goes out of the upper room, and he walks to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And so the Garden of Gethsemane was, a, was only a couple of miles away from where they were celebrating the meal. This was a picture that I took actually when I was blessed to go to Jerusalem in, our, in Israel in 2017. I'm standing in the Garden of Gethsemane looking back at the Temple Mount. And I know it's a little hard to see, but like the, the, the gold dome in the picture is what's, is, you know that's the Temple Mount because that's the, the Dome of the Rock or the mosque that's there now. But, but that's gives you a sense of the perspective of how close these things were. So Jesus walks out of that room. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He gets arrested. He gets marched back into Jerusalem on, and gets tried and crucified on Friday evening. We celebrate that um, we celebrate that here at 6.30 this Friday. I would encourage you to come and be a part of that part of the story. And then, uh, and then he dies, gets buried, and rises again. The, the next week, which we call Resurrection Sunday, which we're having here, obviously, at 10 a.m. next Sunday. So come be a part of that as well. But it's all, but, but he, so, so that's sort of the end of the Seder story he's telling them. But even as he's going through the Seder with them, what you're going to see today is that his, the, um, he does it differently. So they have practiced this meal their whole lives. They've practiced it with him for at least a couple of years. But now in this last time he's going to be with them, he changes some things up that are pretty important. And so we're going to look at those today. So let's talk really quick about what's at your table. And so, so we're just going to kind of do some housekeeping. So what's at your table in addition to the feather and the spoon and, and all that stuff, what you have at your table is everybody needs a plate. Everybody needs a napkin. So pass those around. And everybody needs a cup of juice. So if, if you're not at a table and you don't want to be at a table, that's fine. I mean, it's, there, there are reasons for that. If you just walked in and you can't find room at a table, we will make room because we want you to participate. So um, just a couple of people will move over and we'll, um, so if you have, if, are you guys okay? Okay, we're good. All right. So I just wanted to make sure everybody, but what everybody needs is a plate, a napkin, and a cup of juice. Now, in case I forget to tell you, when, when you drink the juice here in a few minutes, it, you don't drink the whole thing at once. Everybody hear that? You do not drink the whole cup of juice at once. We'll explain why, but don't drink it all at once. There are no seconds. 
Got it? So, um, so there are no free refills here. Um, I mean, God gives you free refills of grace, but we don't give you free, free refills of juice. Um, just kidding. Okay, here's the other stuff that is at your table. So here are the, the, the pieces that you're going to share as part of the Seder story. So um, one is the car, it's what's we, it's called carpus. We're using parsley, just so you know, in case you have allergies to any of this stuff. It was um, the, the idea of like, it's part of the bitter herbs that they would talk about um, reminding them of their bitter bondage. So this was one of those things. You also have, um, that goes along with it as part of the story that you'll see in a minute, is there's a, is a um, bowl that looks like water. It's salt water because it's to remind us of our tears. Um, then there's also um, some stuff that's called maror, which we're using, which is another bitter herb. We're using horseradish for, for um, so I don't know how strong, it, it, the strength of the horseradish varies for us year to year. I like the stuff that makes the, your sinuses blow out of the back of your head, but other people don't. Um, so it just reminds me of like, you know, the pain of sacrifice. And so, um, so that, that's the horseradish, so you know what that is. And then there's, um, oh, and then the chura set, which is this apple honey mixture. I don't, are there any nuts in it in case there are nut allergies here? No nuts. Okay, so it's apples and cinnamon and yummy stuff, and that's supposed to help, like, bring back this. The whole thing is gluten-free, man. Like, like this is like that's miraculous, right there. Like that is. Um, so, so those are the and, and you know, and and now you don't you don't have to do anything with any of that yet, or even know why it's there yet. But just so you have a sense of what it is, the other the other the last pieces that you have at your table is you have three pieces of matzah bread, which is unleavened bread without yeast. That's why it's flat, and they're in what's called a matzatosh. So this white thing that looks like a napkin is is um, um our, it's called a matzotosh, and they would use these to hold their matzah bread. And again, and we'll come back to that. But now you at least know what all those things are. But as I begin to wrap up my time, and we actually jump into celebrating the seder, uh, the, the seder story, in, and this is important as you remember the the last supper and the cups that Jesus takes with his disciples. The seder story is told through four cups. Right, and so you, we we only have one per person, but you're gonna have like four. Like this is this represents four cups because they would drink or they would be offered a drink normally four times, and those four cups come from a part of the story that is. So if if the Passover was instituted in Rome or in Exodus 12, in Exodus 6, God calls his shot and says, "I." This is before he starts to to um the before he starts to, um, to deliver them from Egypt, he says, here's how I'm going to do it. And so in, in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, it says this. So therefore, the sons of Israel, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I say to the sons of Israel, I'm sorry, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. So that's the first cup that we would celebrate in the Seder. It comes from this first I will statement. I will bring you out. That means I will set you apart. Number two, I will deliver you from their bondage that, because he's going to pour his wrath out on Egypt. I will deliver you. That's the second one. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. That's the third I will or the third cup. And then the last one is, then I will take you as my people. So there are these four cups. There's this cup of sanctification, the cup of wrath, the cup of redemption, and in the cup of praise, and we're going to walk through those four cups, even as we use um, the the other stuff at the table, because that's what Jesus did. In in Luke chapter twenty-two, the the, the scene, when Luke records the Last Supper scene, he clearly indicates that Jesus, when when Jesus, we think of Jesus only taking the cup one time. This is the new cup of the, the new covenant in my blood. 
Luke records the story in Luke chapter 22, making clear that there are multiple times throughout, because Jesus was walking through the Passover meal with them. So there are multiple times that he offers them a cup, four of them. And we're going to look at what those are here today. So are you guys finally ready to actually start celebrating the Seder and enough of me just talking about it? Yeah, so here's how they would sell, here's how here's how Jewish people would celebrate. They would start by blowing a shofar. So I'm going to ask my brother Sean Valentine to come up here with his shofar, and it'll become really evident why in just a minute. Um, so a shofar was just was um, a, they would use these like to go into battle. Uh, these are what like for example Joshua. Sean knows much more about them than I do, but um, these are what like Joshua. They would blow these when they're marching around Jericho, um, and so they would blow the shofar. So I will try. And then Sean will show you how it's done. Sorry, they would so they would blow this so they would blow a shofar like when, when they were when they were getting ready to celebrate victory and that's what we're here to do today now how they would actually start the Passover is they would read what's called the Hallel and it's it's Psalms 113 through 118 and they would recite them verbatim the entire Psalms we're not going to do that but I asked the music team to read through parts of each psalm so if you would stand for the reading of God's word as they read through the Hallel and we start our Seder All right, Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Psalm 114. The Red Sea saw them coming and hurried out of their way. The water of the Jordan River turned away. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. I call on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth. For his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to come together today. And we thank you that you are such a good God who keeps his promises. Lord, you have fulfilled all that you have said you will do and you are continuing to go forward and spread your, your kingdom and your gospel. I pray that we would all see your hand um, and uh, 
your truth come, come out today and, and these the symbols that you have given your people for the last several thousand years that it might come to life. May you build our faith this morning, trusting that you will continue to do what you say you will do. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, church family. Give a second for the music team to step down. Um, for those who don't know me, I am Brian Johnson. I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Cross Train. And um, I can't remember if Doug mentioned it, but the way we're doing it, the elders are all going to split up a different cup of um, a different cup throughout the, the seder. Um, so. I have the cup of sanctification, and just you know, cool little side note: if you ha if you don't have one, um, and probably most of you don't, probably one of the only few people here that has one, a Haggadah. Um, we actually do this at home, and it's a great opportunity to do with your family and sit here at, um, at home like this week and do it. We're like our family does it every year. So, um, a lot of the stuff that I pulled from on the cup of sanctification comes from. So, if it sounds repetitive when I'm saying things. It's because I pulled it out of this. Um, and there's multiple different ones. That's not the one you have to get. So, sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, first of all, it's, it's not a feeling closer to God or experiencing his presence. And it's not some special insight or special sense of spirituality. There's no way to measure or gauge it by our feelings. But it is. The, pre the process of God's transforming work in our life. The moment of our salvation that you were declared justified by the Lord. Being freed from the guilt of sin through the sacrifice of Jesus. Sanctification frees you from the pollution of sin. It helps, you helps us destroy sin patterns and renounce our former evil ways. So as we, as we, this, what's cool is we get right into it. Um, if you're Jewish, we'd have our wine, and they'd already be starting to have some major fun, I'm sure. But um, we're drinking grape juice here today. But um, as with salvation, sanctification is not accomplished by our will or actions. It's the work of the Lord in the lives of his people. So when we see in John 17, if you can get, have your Bibles out, that's cool. Um, it's kind of hard with everything that's on the table. I get it. So... Um, I'm not asking everyone to go unless you want to, but I'm going to be going John 17, 14. Um, and this is Jesus in the high priestly prayer. Um, John 14, 17, verse, starting verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I concentrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. We see he's, he's praying about his disciples, but this is the great part. I do not ask just for these only, but also for those, us here as believers, who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So we now take this cup, the cup of sanctification. Go in and remember, this is the only cup you get. So just take a, just take a gulp or so. So as we take this cup of sanctification, we give thanks and we praise God and we thank him for the sacrifice that he made, for the sanctification that we have, not of our own doing, but of his doing, what he did for us. And we take that and we say, praise God. Go ahead and take a seat. So now, the next part of the Passover would normally um, would be the washing of the hands. Um, and I, w- I was trying to understand, why do we do the washing of the hands? Like, why did the... Why did they have that? First of all, let's just face it, it was for cleanliness, right? But uh, I looked up some stuff last night, and a few reasons for this, and, and a few initial, and, uh, a few reasons for this initial hand washing stem from the time of the temple in Jerusalem, and the hand washing ritual of purification. The temple priests undertook it in order to be ritually pure, to perform their duties of offering sacrifices on the altar to God. Once the temple was destroyed, the rabbis adopted a variety of these rituals in different ways. Seeing the Passover table as equivalent to the sacrificial altar, thus requiring the same ritual for purity. They also included a more symbolic interpretation of this physical act of washing our hands, explaining that this hand washing shows us, shows us to be open and ready for the Passover tale of freedom and redemption. And our freedom and redemption is our freedom from sin, right? And our redemption, right? We recall last week that Doug, um, in, the, in the message last week, um, he used that as Jesus was um, took this part of washing the hands and flipped it upside down and washed the disciples' feet, right? So if you would look under your table for the basin and go and take your shoes off. No? Okay. I was doing this, I was thinking of April Fool's. I wish it was today, but no. Okay, so we're not going to do that. But we see, if you didn't see, if you were here last week and you see, um, you can watch the, the sermon from last week. And he went into, de- Doug went into detail about the washing of feet and what that servant leadership looked like. And that's, this is the process in the Seder where that would have happened. Um, now we go to the, but we go move now to the parsley. And if you see Doug mentioned everything on this table, you see the parsley right here in the bowl. Um, if everyone wants to go ahead and take a piece of parsley and put it on their plate, we're not going to eat it yet. Um, <clears throat> the pass- so we recognize that the Passover is, is celebrated in the spring. And when the earth becomes green and with new life, that's what this parsley represents, this new life. Um, it reminds us of God's role as creator and sustainer of all things. And it also, for us, what we get to see is this new life in what? Shout it out. What's our new life in? Christ. Christ. Amen. So they looked at it as truly new life. We look at it as new life in Christ. And then also, like for the children of Israel, it was difficult in Egypt, um, suffering, pain, and tears. And those tears are represented here in the salt water that we have on the table as well. So, 
Um, at this point, what we would do, what we will do, is dip our parsley in the salt water. Yes, go ahead, Kylie, dip it in the salt water and get ready to eat it. <laughs> so everyone take, take that parsley that you took. I guess I should do this too since I'm telling everyone to do it. So we're going to dip this in the salt water. And then, normal, like what I got from this Haggadah is what the leader would say is, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the earth. Amen. Now eat the parsley. It's not that bad. Come on. It's not that bad. Just wait. It's going to get better. Wait until you get to put it in the horseradish. That's going to be really good. Remember, don't drink your juice yet because you can't wash it down, Kylie. <laughs> I'm, wa I'm watching from right here. I know who to look for. Everyone in the back row is good. It's this one up front. Let's remember, the point of this, we're having fun here, okay? And so we should be enjoying and, and laughing and having a good time because we're celebrating what Jesus did for us in this. And so we're joyous about this. We're not running from slavery in Egypt right now. Um, so now the matzah. You see, in if you if the leader of each table would pick up the matzatash, it's this little sewn blanket with three pieces of matzah bread in it. And you'll see it's divided into three sections, okay? Um, the, matzah the matzah reminds us uh, of the Israelites that had to leave Egypt quickly, and they did not have time to let the bread rise. So when we see in 1 Corinthians, um, Doug mentioned at the beginning about, uh, parsley is really starting to get stuck in the, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, <laughs> I joke, and look at me. Um, the tears are coming. Um, so if we go to 1 Corinthians 5, starting in 6, we see Paul um, using this uh, the leaven that we were talking about that um, that we swept underneath the out from under the tables that leaven that was that representation of sin, right? If we go to First Corinthians five starting in six, it says your boasting is not good. Do not do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we see that we're, are we, are we completely sinless right now? No. It's part of the sanctification process, right? We're not going to be fully sinless until Jesus comes back or we're brought to him. So, but we see this representation of the leaven, and, and only God can do the work. It's God revealing to us that um, our sinful nature, because prior to God, we did not know that we were sinful, correct? So we see this now. We, we get to look at this representation that, that they use this metaphor of the, the unleavened bread and um, how we get to take this now and look at the, we'll take out the middle matzotash, okay? Whoever your leader is at the table, 
take out this middle matzotash. Everyone, let make sure everyone at the table can see it. And uh, we see the stripes. If you hold it up to the light, you, first of all, you can see the stripes without holding up the light. But then you hold it up to the light and you see the holes in that. And obviously, it's how they cook it to make it not rise and the fact that there's no leaven in it. There's no yeast in it. But we go to Isaiah 53. We see the stripes and holes on the matzah and reminds us in Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, with his stripes, in other versions it says, with his stripes we are healed. And so we see this middle matzah as a representation of Christ. The stripes of him being whipped and the holes from his hands and his feet being pierced, right? So um, what we will do now, as the leaders, I'm doing this one hand with a mic, it's a little hard. I need the leaders to take that matzah and break it in half. So... Good job, good job. Okay, so next, and what we're going to do now, you'll see this piece of linen, I'm not sure what you would call it, but uh, cloth, this white cloth. You're going to take that matzah and wrap it up in this. Now, normally, we probably have like a bigger piece that you could really wrap it up and hide it, but we, we see what it represents. What's going to happen is we're going to take this um, and we're going to take this piece of matzah and the leader is going to hide it somewhere. Don't go hide it anywhere around the building. Just hide it under the table somewhere. Shove it in a Bible where the kids can't see it because the responsibility is to go look for it later. But what we see in doing this is what's, what's this look like a picture of? It's, it's Jesus, right? Correct. Where his body was wrapped and put in the tomb, and we're hiding it, right? And in a, in a little bit, we're going to find it. Just like, and that's that represent. I'm going to hide this one. I'll keep it right there. I'm not going to hide it. Good. Um, so now we're going to take the second piece, and we're going to break it up and distribute it evenly to everyone at the table. I trust everyone did some sort of hand washing, right? As, yeah, this, oh, this week. So pass it around to everyone. Take as big or a little piece as you want. So, and once everyone has a piece, we're going to hold it up. And we say, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, king of the universe, who has brought forth bread from the earth. Amen. Go and eat it. Looks a little dry. Wash it down a little bit. Just down a little bit. <laughs> so, um, next, 
we're going to go to the next one, is the Maror. Everyone's favorite. I, honestly, this is everyone's favorite. Can I get an amen for that? Woo! All right. So our lives today are sweet compared to the bitter life of the children of Israel that they had in, in, in Egypt. And we see in Exodus 1, 11 through 14, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh some sit, um, store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were, the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all the kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So we see this now. We see it's bitter, right? Um, so go ahead and take the other, um, the matzahs out. You can take those and spread those around. Break it up so everyone has a couple small pieces. Never mind. And you don't have to break, you don't have to break this one perfectly, Zach. It's okay. Nice try. But go ahead and just a couple medium, small, medium-sized pieces for everyone at the table. Now, what's interesting in, in if you were doing an actual Haggadah, like I said, there, there would be things that everyone at the table would be saying. They would all have a script, and they would be reading from that. Um, I'm just explaining this as everyone's passing around. So... Obviously, we're not doing it the same way, um, but if you were actually doing a, a, a real Seder, everyone at the table would be responding to the leader and repeating, um, have things memorized of what they would say. Um, just before this, they would have had questions for the kids to ask, and we'd be going through this as the leader answering those questions, and they'd be answering them as they're doing the Seder, because like Doug said earlier, this is really focused on teaching the kids about... Um, about the work of God in the Exodus. So the mor morar, um, what, we'll, what we do now is we take this and we, and we recognize as we eat this, get ready, go ahead and take a dip. Everyone take a dip. Go ahead, have a dip. If you're real, if you're real tough, take a big dip. And as we take this in the Seder, in a Jewish Seder, they, it would be to remind specifically of what the Israelites, the children of Israel, were going through in the bitter slavery that they were in. As we take it, we can also look at it as the, the, the disgusting sin that we were in before Christ. So that reminds us of that. So, again, blessed are you. O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by his word and has commanded us to eat these bitter herbs. Amen. Well, you go. It's not that bad. Whoever bought this was very kind. It's not too bad.
All right. <laughs> so the next is, in this would be is we're going into the carousel. All right. So make sure that you have some more matzah because now we're going to make a matzah sandwich in just a second. So as slaves in Egypt, the Israelites were slaves and had to mix clay and straw into bricks to build cities for Pharaoh. We are called to remember this by eating a mixture of apples, nuts, honey, and wine called kerosene. Again, there's no nuts in this one. Take a piece of matzah now and place, this is the fun part, get some of the bitter herbs, get some bitter herbs on that. You got to do it right. Come on. You got to do it right. So, you know, you put a little of the bitter herbs on it, and then you put the um, carouset on it, and you're going to make a sandwich like this, okay? Some would put the lettuce on also, or the, the parsley if you want. Eh, I don't like green on my sandwich, so. All right. So we take this, and this mix of bitter herbs and carouset reminds us that God's blessing can sweeten even the most bitter circumstances in our lives. And we, and, we, and we see this in our own lives, that even though we're still living in sin, that we, we still have sin in our hearts as human beings, but then we also have Christ's sanctification. Christ died for us, and we see the sweetness of that salvation as we're living it out right now. So... Going, is everyone ready? Okay. As, as we're going through, the, as you guys are still getting ready, um, in Mark 14, 16 through 20, the disciples set out and went to the city and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is the one of the 12 who is dipping bread into this dish with me. So as we get ready to take this, we see the, the bitterness also, and we see the sweetness of what Christ did. The person that was about to betray him, he dipped. At, this is the moment that they were doing, that he was doing this with Judas, that we see the bitterness of what was going to happen, his betrayal, but yet the sweetness of what he was ultimately doing for us. So with that, take it and enjoy. Told you it's not bad, right? All right. So next, we're going to be going into the next cup, and John's going to be coming up, but before John comes up, can you just bow your heads and pray with me as I pray? Father God, we thank you for the reminder of what this Passover is as we celebrate you and your unfailing love for us, Lord, that from the beginning of creation, none of this was a surprise. You knew what was going to happen. You knew every minute you had it all planned. There was no plan A, B, C, or D. It was only plan A. And Lord God, that you brought us, that you chose us in, and put us into this plan of yours and created us to, to worship you, Lord. As we look um, throughout this, uh, the cup of sanctification and the, the fact that you sanctify us, 
nothing that we can do to be sanctified on our own, to be saved on our own. It's all of your work, Lord. You call us to you. You remove the scales from our eyes, and you reveal yourself to us. And it's at that moment that we are saved and that we can now, even as we look at these bitter herbs and, and represent, representation of sin, but know that we still are sinful and need repentance on a daily basis and that we need to run from our sin. But yet you have redeemed us. You have, as we take the carouset and, and remind that even in our sin, you are perfect. You imputed your perfection on us. You made us holy. You made us righteous, Lord. God, may we go now and just proclaim that truth of your gospel to others, Lord. May we just live praising you and rejoicing in you and telling others about your story, Lord, and bringing others to you as, as you bring them to us, Lord. We thank you and we praise your name. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Awesome. So how's the meal so far? All right. So that brings us to the cup of wrath. So, yeah, I get the, uh, yeah, when we all volunteered for this, I was the first one to step up, and Doug said, I guess John wants wrath. And so I wanted the cup of wrath. So anyhow, uh, the cup of wrath, judgment, the, the makat, is that how you pronounce that? In, yeah, makat, M-A-K-K-O-T in the Jewish. Related to like uh, in the Jewish courts, you know, if, some, if they had uh, something going on there, you know, in the court system and being disciplined, lashes um, or physical blows, uh, basically punishment. You know, I'm looking back on what Doug started with earlier in Exodus 6. It says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. I will deliver you from their bondage. So again, they're speaking of uh, in that of the um, Egyptian, of the Israelite people being oppressed and uh, being enslaved to the Egyptians, and God, um, in judgment to them, I'm just going to review the, the the plagues that God was going to bring against Pharaoh uh, in this uh, scene that we're seeing here. And if you want to read about this later, it's in Exodus uh, chapter seven through eleven. It's um it's a good read just to see the ebbs and flows of how Pharaoh hardens his heart sometimes, and sometimes God hardens Pharaoh's heart. You know, we talked about it in the training center this last week that God definitely injects himself into the story when he needs things to happen the way he needs to, to happen so he can get to the point of us, you know, even having Jesus Christ as our Savior. You know, God, it wasn't by accident. It was very, very deliberate by our Lord. So, um, of course, we know um, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph, which was the one of the 12 uh, kiddos there um, from Jacob. Joseph was second um, youngest. And, uh, you know, God preserved a remnant of 70 people. And over that next 400 years, you know, ten, roughly 10 generations, I was thinking about this, that there's really, um, in that 400 years, that there's, it's kind of silent in there of what God is doing with those people. Clearly, at the end of it, they still know that they belong to God, but I mean, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, I get a little frustrated when, you know, something doesn't happen in a week when I'm asking the Lord for help, and they, generations passed that uh, hadn't heard from the Lord, so that's, uh, to me, that's incredible. Hey, that first, uh, 
plague was he turned water into blood, turned the, the water in the Nile into blood. That would included the water that was in their house already from the Nile. Uh, the second plague, which was probably the easiest one, I think, frogs, unless you're really afraid of frogs. Oh, frogs. And then uh, the third one was gnats or lice. I just can't imagine having just swarms of gnats everywhere. I'm, I've never had lice. I'm sure that wouldn't be pleasant either. Um, or flies. I got five in my house. I'm a little annoyed, you know, so flies everywhere. Livestock, it, it's getting real now. Livestock, uh, diseased, boils. There's some silt that settled on them that created boils, and you know, their, their skin just not comfortable. Then he sent thunder and hail. Hail so big that he said, you better put your beast away and don't be out in it when it comes because it will kill you. Um, and then he sent locusts. I can't imagine that. If you don't like frogs, probably don't care for locusts, I'm guessing. And then darkness, three days of darkness. And a lot of, remember, all throughout these plagues, Moses is going back to Pharaoh, giving him the chance to let my people go, right? And either Pharaoh hardens his heart or God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that this is going to continue on with these judgments that are coming against Egypt. And then the final one that leads us to the death of the firstborn was was the 10th and final plague. And it's led to the Passover, the Passah, the Passover lamb. Exodus 12 says, your lamb shall be an unblemished male, year old. You should take him from the sheep or the goats. You shall keep it him. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it at twilight. The blood shall be a sign for you and serve as the marking on the houses. When that blood was spilled and they marked, they were commanded, and this is in uh, chapter 11, to put the blood of that animal on their doorpost. So that the Lord says he's going to come through on that night at midnight and he's going to kill the firstborn in every house in the land of Egypt. That, that's, a, that's a challenging thing for me. Um, but I, I'm just going to say this, that he came through there and the thing that protected the Israelites in the land of Goshen right next to Egypt there was the blood of the lamb. And death came, you know, that night, that final plague, there was something that died in every single house. But the Israelites had the benefit of the Lord giving them the blood of the lamb that was slain. It was a male, you know, lamb that he had to slay. And by doing that, that plague would pass by those people. So the coolest part, though, you know, when they would look at the cup... And remember, that first Passover, they didn't, they didn't understand at the time when, when this was going on, that first Passover, that God was protecting them and redeeming them, as he just talked about in what I just read. That he said, I will bring them out, right? I will bring you out. I will redeem you. From generations past that, that's like chapter 12, verse 14. He talks about for generations, all those meals are going to happen now through, through in the generations that Doug talked about, like 3,500 years this has been going on. When they would talk about, when they talk about this in the Seder, as we're doing right now, they would look at the cup, signifying and representing the blood that was shed for their sins. I loved what David said in Psalm 51, 51.7, it says, purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a leafy branch that they would, that the priest would dip in blood and, and sprinkle it for ceremonial things. I can just imagine that hyssop being dipped in the blood and spread over the doorpost so that 
it would cross over and understand this, guys. This is where, where I think as New Testament believers, we have the benefit of history on our side, that we're able to look at this cup and understand that because of what Christ did on the cross, we're able to have forgiveness. We're able to be looked at white as snow, right? We've been talk, going through the Romans series and that, you know, uh, verse, sorry, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God revealed from the faith to faith it is written. The blood that Christ shared for us that made us white as snow in God's eyes, the righteousness that is imputed on us is because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I, I love that this story, as it's unfolding here, is leading us to that place where we have an understanding of how the Old Testament, and even David, David was written 400 years after the first Passover, right, in the 1400 years of, of um, Egypt there. And David is looking at this, and he didn't know who Christ was. He knew something was going to happen, but he could even see and had faith. And that ultimately, that's what it narrows down to, guys. Do we have the faith that what Christ did on the cross is enough to pay for our sin? How often do we want to take it back and, and not really feel comfortable? Are we really saved? So um, just a couple more references here that, you know, even Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross in John 18. He's uh, saying, you know, should I not drink? You know, and then later in, in Luke 22, it says, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was fully human, fully God, and the, the, the stress or the anxiety or the fear or the, you know, just being scared, you know what's about to happen to you. We just talked about the Masat, right? He knows that he's going to be punished. And it talks about, the Bible says he is whipped for our transgression and, and the blows, they put a hood over him and the guards are taking chan uh, shots at punching him. And, uh, you know, Jesus went through all of that and then went to the cross, suffered, bled, and died that we wouldn't have to for those of us who have faith in that. You know what just occurred to me in this? And it's, it's obviously, I just, I, I'm sorry I get so ser serious on this. I, I just think that um, it is. You know, this part, this, this, this is supposed to be fun. We are having a good time with this. I didn't have the benefit of having to eat crackers and spread stuff on it, you know, the masat and stuff. But the, um, how, how does Christ's willingness to take God's wrath from you drive you towards the cross? If you're um, one of those people in here that's um, politely paying attention but you're smug inside and just think, I don't know what they're even talking about, I don't understand this stuff, please don't leave here today without talking to Doug, Brian, myself, Jeff, any of the leaders. God, th guys, this is um, important stuff. And if you don't think you need a savior, you think you're okay, this is the safest place in the world to ask questions. Even if you walk out that door and you don't become a Christian, at least have your questions answered of, I don't understand. I want to understand. Or maybe you don't want to understand, but I just encourage you, ask. Ask one of us, just what is this all about? Because if you're here, it's not by accident. You know, our God... Send his son to the cross so that you can have eternal life and not spend forever separated from him. So I'm going to bring Doug up in a second. I'm going to pray. And, um, yeah, Lord God, I thank you so much for um, this Seder meal, Lord, that we're able to uh, look at um, the cups here. We're able to see the elements of what you've established from years and years and years ago. The first Passover, Lord, 3,500 years ago, God, that... Um, 
we're able to sit here today and uh, see Jesus in all of it. We thank you, God, for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, both Brian and John. Thank you guys very much. And, you know, it just struck me. I, I had not um, even thought about it until um, John was sharing. And um, so how many years were they in slavery in Egypt? 400. And, and, I, and I love how beautifully John like, like led us into that idea of there's 400 years of silence. Like God's people wondering, like, God, where have you gone? Like, have you stopped fulfilling your promises? What are you doing? You know, what, four, like he said, like, I, I don't want to wait 10 minutes. They're waiting 400 years. Well, when else in the, in the history of God's story was there 400 years of silence before Jesus comes? So the Old Testament ends around 400 B.C., and God from a divine revelations perspective, goes silent until what? Until the perfect Passover lamb comes. Like, like I, I don't know why I didn't ever do that math in my head, but like God's story is so intentional, right? And yet, as we sit here as God's people living out God's story, we, we can, I mean, I'll just, I can be, I can be in that place of going, God, where have you been? Where are, like, what are you doing? Have you just decided to take your hands off of everything? Because look at what's going on in our world, or look what's going on in this country, or look what's going on in my life, right? And it's, and it's, it's looking back at the story. It's looking back at that moment when, when Jesus takes that, when he's telling the story to his disciples in the upper room, and he takes that cup of, ra or, or like Brian said, he, he washes Judas's feet, to, to turn the whole story up on its head. When, when he takes that cup of wrath and he says, not this time, gentlemen, because this time I'm going to take it. And oh, by the way, when it comes time to take it, he's begging his father, like John said, that, Father, if, 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 it's, if you have thought of another way while I've been down here, <laughs> like now's the time to let me in on it, right? Because that's the cup of wrath that's going to be poured out. Like, like, like that that we're sitting here today going, we're those people stuck in that space kind of between like going, okay, God, I, I believe in your promises. I trust in your promises, but I'm also looking around going, man, where are you? Right? And, and it's in the, the, the reason, back to what I shared at the beginning, the reason he would have his people do this, God would have his people do this every year. The reason we've done it, I think it's been 10. I, I wasn't sure if it was 9 or 10, but I think it's been 10. I went back and looked this morning, our 10th one of these. And the reason we'll do it as long as we are blessed to be able to be here or until the Lord comes back is because we're just a leaky people. Like, I forget that God is fulfilling his promises. And when we look back at the promises he has fulfilled and we see Jesus all over them, we can look ahead and we can go, what can't he do? Like every one of his promises is going to be fulfilled. And we are just those people stuck in that space between the already and not yet. But what we're not stuck between is the space between wrath and redemption. And that um, leads us to, so, so it's this idea, like do we know the truth of God's story? Because the truth of God's story anchors our souls. And, and when it does, then, then we're able to walk out in a world that's trying to tell us everything else, that, like truth is this, truth is that. And we can go, no, I know the truth. Like I, I know him, the one who is the truth. 
I know the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like, I know who that is, and I find my redemption in him. And, th- and that is the last two cups, and, and I'm going to just share the third one. They go quite a bit faster. It's why on your handout there's, quite a le- quite, there's not nearly as much room, um, is because these last two cups would be towards the very end of the meal, and they would be the cup of redemption and the cup of praise. And this is the cup where the cup of redemption is the cup where Jesus says, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it with you anew in my kingdom. Like when he comes again and he will establish it, when, those, when that space between is not a space between anymore, when those two kingdoms slam back together and the physical and the spiritual become what they were in the garden before the rebellion, because that's the story that God is telling. And, and like I said, so as the music team um, comes up, uh, because we're going to get ready to, um, to sing a song um, of communion and then a song of praise, um, I just want to uh, tell you a little bit about the cup of redemption. So this is a, the Hagula is what it's called, the cup of, the cup of redemption, and it's, and it's that scene where, he, where, where Jesus institutes communion. Now, now remember back to where I started. Jesus has, been, has, has done this Passover story multiple times with them, but, but he is, throughout the meal, he's turning it on its head, and no place greater than when he gets to this cup of redemption because now he's going to, like, share something new and, and, it, and it flows out of these I will statements. I will bring you out. I will deliver you from your bondage. I will redeem you. I was thinking about this, um, that scene from the movie Courageous, you know, at the end of the movie when the guy's up there at the end and he's like, and he's like you know, who will, and he starts listing off all the things. Who will stand for their, you know, for their families and who will be on God's side and all the men are standing up going, I will, I will, I will. That's a great scene. I love it too. But you know what? We can't unless he did. Right? This is God saying, I will. And because I did, you can. Right? And so, so don't walk out of here today going, I will do better. Walk out of here going, he did. So I can. Right? And that's what the cup of redemption brings us. That's what redemption is really all about. Redemption is buying back that which was lost in the rebellion in the garden. If God's story is creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration, and we're waiting for the restoration, we're in that space between. The redemption was accomplished in his first coming. He paid the price for what was lost in the garden. So here's what I need you to do. And I'm, I don't know if I should have had you come up this earlier or not, but that's okay. You can hang out. Um, so here's what I need you to do. Uh, Brian did a great job of talking about the Afikoman, the, the idea of this picture that they were celebrating without even knowing what they were celebrating, where they would take the matzah, they'd break it in half, and they'd wrap it up, and they'd hide it. So now what you need to do is somebody needs to find where it was hidden, right? And the leader should have some Smarties on their table because Smarties are the best candy ever. And you, and you give all of them to the person that finds, no, you, get, you pass them out um, as, as a reward for the ransom. Because what did Jesus say? That I came to not be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So he is our ransom, is ultimately what it amounts to. And um, if, if the second cup, the cup of wrath, the cup of judgment, was the cup where he says that this cup will pass, this cup of redemption is the cup where he says, take, where, where, where he talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, it's, it's, what we, it's where we get communion. This, in other words, we get the concept of communion. They had never done communion before. His disciples had practiced the Passover. But now, instead of doing it the way they would have done it, he actually says, he takes the bread, 
So the Afikoman, he takes it out, and they've done that, and they're like, and all of a sudden he says, but hey, guys, this is the body, this is my body. So he took, the, it says he's in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 20, 23, he says he took the bread, and when he, was, when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he would take the bread, and, he and all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, that's new information. Like, this is new material. This is your body? What are you talking about? Like, for us, we go, of course it is. They're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right? But he was fulfilling the story. So he takes it and he breaks it. And don't, don't partake yet. We're going to partake of communion together here in just a minute. And then it says, in the same way, he took the cup. But now, just like he would do before, normally he would say, this is the cup of redemption, God redeeming us. I will redeem you, Exodus chapter 6. But now he says this, this is the new covenant in my blood. This cup of redemption is now not looking back at the Passover lamb. It's looking forward to the cross, his blood shed. And then he says, for as often as you take this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until we return. What are we proclaiming? We're, we're proclaiming what we will proclaim Friday night right here. It is finished. Like, like they're, 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 so the reason we don't have to do a Seder every year, the reason we don't have to celebrate the Pat, we're doing this because we want to remember the promises, not because we have to, because they would continually have to sacrifice because the sacrifice wasn't sufficient. By definition, it couldn't be. So the only, but, but the wages of sin is death is what Paul has told us in Romans. And the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. But that's because he is the perfect Passover lamb. The only way that can be true is, one, he had to be, to be a, a sacrifice worthy of payment for all sin, for all people, is that, one, he had to be a people. He had to be a man. Right? He had to come here. He couldn't be an animal. No more, no more rams and goats. He had to be a person like us. And then the second thing is, he had to be perfect. The Passover lamb was neither of those things. They were not perfect, nor were they human. Here he comes, the perfect human, and he says, this is what I'm doing here. And that's why when he dies on the cross and sheds his blood, we don't have to go back and re... We have a high priest who has entered into the Holy of Holies once for all time, the writer of Hebrews says. And oh, by the way, what happened when he cried out, it is finished? He tore the veil from top to bottom. He said, you have access. We, through his blood, shed blood, through his sacrifice, have access to the redeemer of all men, have access to the one who is and was and is to come. He is not hiding. He is not stingy about his grace. He invites us to his table. Like that's ultimately what these last two cups are about. So with that, if we would, first of all, let's, let's, we're going to celebrate communion like we do here almost every week at Cross Train. You, everybody take a piece of the matzah. And as you do, think about his, this is my body broken for you. And then take a piece. Lord Jesus, we do, um, we do thank you that you were willing to come here to take on the form of flesh, 
to enter into our broken space. And, and that you were willing to do that before it broke. Before the rebellion, the plan was established and you agreed to it, knowing full well what that was going to mean. The suffering of the cross for sure, but, but even 30 plus years of living a life of obscurity, mockery, that you were willing to, 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 to leave the glorious life in the heavenlies. Like you are, you are, you are on the throne of God to, to, as your word says, empty yourself of, of some of that glory or veil that glory by your humanity to become us, that the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. What a, what an amazing thing that is. Your life given, your body broken. It's the picture of your father willingly in his, it was his good pleasure to crush him is what Isaiah says. His, the Father's good pleasure to crush the Son. Why? To redeem creation back. So I thank you that that it's, it is the great exchange. Why did Jesus have to come and die? To exchange the perfect life of the God-man for the sinful life of Doug, of us, of every human who's ever lived. It is the great exchange. And so I thank you for, the, for those of us that have had that your life applied to our lives. And I pray for those that have not yet, whether they be people in this room, people hearing our, voice, my, our voices today, um, or, or, or people in the world. There are so many out there who have yet to experience the grace of God. And having spent too much of my life rejecting that grace, Lord, I, I present them to your throne and say, Lord, do what you need to do to bring them into your kingdom. Because you've already done what needed to be done. You came and lived and shed your blood, the perfect Passover lamb, for the forgiveness of sin. And it is sufficient for all who will just look to it. In Jesus' name. So let's take the cup and remember his blood shed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It doesn't seem like enough to say, but it's all we got. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Amen. So we come now to the time of the Seder where everybody that was with Jesus, his disciples, would have trusted the truth of God's story. They would have had what probably looks like a four-hour meal. And in that time, conversations taking place about the real hard truth of what they all went through as a people. They, they're rehearsing all the victories. But here's the thing. They, what we need to think about today and the reason that I, I wanted to do this cup of praise, this is our fourth cup, is because this isn't a cup that they would look at and say, well, this is great for our, our, our city and this is great for our state and this is great for our nation and this is great for the world. They would say, this is great for me. This is praise for me. And do you know the truth of God's story? Because if you do, if you do, you have to understand this truth, that Jesus came and died and rose again. And because he did that, God showed you that he loves you as if you were the only person, the only one that he ever loved. Do you get that? Do you, do you get, Brenda, do you get that? Lori, do you get that? That he loves you as if you're the only person that there ever was created that there was to love. That's how much our God loves you. And so when we look at this cup, we looked at sanctification, and we drank because we needed to be sanctified. We looked at judgment, and we passed because Jesus took that once and for all. And then we looked at redemption, and we celebrated by drinking, and we will eventually drink the cup of praise. I will bring you out. I will deliver you from bondage. I will redeem you. And now I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And like I said, as if you were the only one ever that he loved. And because of that, the writer in Psalm 116 says, I shall lift up the cup of salvation. I shall call on the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. This is what Jesus was talking about. In his presence, they talked and rehearsed the truth of the story. They celebrated through the tears, through the pain, through the sacrifice, and through the joy. The Seder shows that there has been one line, one story the entire time that God intentionally, not on accident, not on accident, God intentionally had one story the entire time to bring forth his plan of redemption for us all here today. So you're here in this room or you hear me online. You have to recognize that this is for you today. And as Doug said, we don't have to keep celebrating this. We want to keep celebrating this. Why would we not want to celebrate God's redemption story of praise? And you know, when we leave here today and we set through our week, are we the praise givers? Are we the praise bearers so that other people can see that? Because look around Look around. The world needs some praise. The world needs joy. And I had a conversation with someone the other day, and I told him, I said, you are the gift that God's giving to other people. And he started crying on the phone. He goes, I don't feel like a gift. Because the world tells us something different. And we don't tell ourselves that we're worth more than what the next headline says. We, we, we don't trust the truth of what Jesus died to give us. I'll tell you what. Read your Bible. Come to church with us. 
celebrated the family of the redeemed Christians that want to celebrate his joy. This is a story of deliverance. It's a story of righteousness. It's a story that there was a sin problem. It's a story that the salvation that has been revealed has only ever been revealed through people that are righteous. And that perfect righteous man was Jesus, fully God, fully man. Hold up your cup. I'm going to bring you back to two verses that we talked about earlier in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Now that you've heard what the Seder is about, now that you've seen sanctification, now that you've enjoyed being passed over for judgment, and now that we've been redeemed, I want you to listen to these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So let's drink this cup in praise of our Savior. In Mark 14, it's recorded, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So after singing a hymn that we're going to do in a minute, they, they sang as a part of the Passover. And through this four-hour meal, they would be reading the whole halal which is that praise. They would be reading this. They would be singing. They would be enjoying the fellowship. They would be asking questions. And as Doug said, they would have done it the same way every time until Jesus breaks things up. Can you imagine the conversations at that point? What are they saying when he says, this is my blood, this is my body? You think they're sad? No. They're ex- you, Jesus, Maybe the light's clicking, and maybe it's clicking for you today. Maybe now you're seeing that this is one story, and this one story is not a book that you can't buy. It's for you, purchased by unlimited redeeming grace in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So they're heading to the Mount of Olives. They're all going to follow Jesus, as you saw the picture that Doug said. They're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where we're going to pick it up. On Friday, so please, we're going to celebrate and praise. We're going to sing a song, and Doug's going to come back up. You need to come back because the story is not over yet. Let me pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much that we are a people of praise. You gave us, you gave us a voice, and you gave us emotions, and you gave us an intellect so that we could give it all back to you. And some people... They, they play instruments, some people sing, some people speak. But all of us have a way in our hearts individually to give you the praise that is due your glory. And so, Lord, I pray now in my words, Lord, there are days I don't feel like I'm, I'm that guy. I don't, I don't feel like I'm connected to you. All I have to remember is I need to trust the truth of what you said because it is written. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you believe that you are a praise bearer, would you please stand?